0: Today we have Ed Molitor, who is an executive coach. He teaches the athletics of business. Uh, He's joining us for the Thinker What Works podcast. And in interest of full disclosure, we did this, we recorded the podcast one time before, and I misrecorded it. So Ed is kind enough to drive back in from Chicago to do it again. Well, there's no, um,
1: it's my pleasure. There's no need to throw yourself under the bus, though, but Ed is taking one for the team.
0: (laughs) You might as well well tell the truth when it's out there. All right, so you were here a month ago uh, doing a Lead and Succeeds series. Uh and I sat through half of it and I thought it was very um It was that good, huh? Yeah, it was that good. <laughs> well, you know, kid just kid kidding. stuff. Right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, one of the one of the things I wanted to talk to you first about is uh, you moved into executive coaching from being a basketball coach. In fact you were uh very successful when you were at DePaul, NIU and Texas A and M as a uh an assistant and you come from a coaching family. Your 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 father coached you. for forty some years, correct? Yep. Yes and, he did. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about why the switch, what was happening in your life or in your career that led you to believe that, you know, maybe there's something else out there for you?
1: Well, it's a great question. And speaking to my dad, I knew, you know, years ago, I grew up and my dad started his career in the old Catholic league um, and never lost the Catholic league, work ethic, mindset, core values, whatever you'd like to call it. And a couple of things that he always you know always talked about and he really instilled it in me and all the all the guys that played for him was that a athletics is a microcosm of life and that b basketball is a frame of mind game so as my corporate career went on and i hate using the word corporate career but as my business career went on i realized how fitting the the basketball is a frame of mind game that business is a frame of mind game as well and i don't think there's any doubt about it um what got me to make the change was when I was, so I started at Lewis University, a phenomenal Division II school, a great basketball program. Jim Whitesell was our head coach, gave me my first chance, my first opportunity. Um, And then I went to Texas A&M. And when I was at Texas A&M, our head coach was fired, basically, um, reassigned, but fired um, when I was 28 years old. And I didn't really know what to make of it at that age, like we were talking about prior to the recording. I... I um, decided I wanted to come back to Chicago. Now, you have to understand, before I moved to College Station, Texas, I was living across the street from Wrigley Field. So mm-hmm. that in of, it of itself was a big shift, okay? But I decided I wanted to come back to um chicago and i got into the mortgage industry and that was 1998 and it was a phenomenal time to get in the mortgage industry as a refi boom was just starting and i had no idea what a refi was um i hadn't used a a financial calculator since college uh but i knew i loved working with people and i loved to you know to network so and i had a friend of mine that um he and the owner we had had dinner at uh christmas time when we were still you know we still had jobs down at A&M and they told me if anything ever happens, you always have a job here. So what the heck? I'm 28. I'm young. I'm dumb. Let's go try it. And I really was one of those that identified who I was with what I did. So needless to say, I wasn't very happy despite how much success I was having um, and how comfortable my life could have been. I wasn't happy. So I kept going back to coaching, to the business world, to coaching, to the business world. And I just realized what I really wanted to do in life. The things I loved about coaching were the relationships, making an impact on young people's lives, the competing, the preparation, um, the very things that I teach. I realized there had to be another way um, besides the mortgage industry. So that's when I went into uh, the recruiting industry. A good friend of mine from high school uh, is a principal of a a mortgage company. He had played football at the Naval Academy, uh, started uh, his consulting company i believe it's been 17 years now and so the six and a half years leading up to the launch of the molitor group i was doing military recruiting in other words we were placing former exit and retired military in jobs throughout the country in my last three and a half years there i served as vice president of operations and i loved it but there was something that was there was something that was missing um I loved working with the candidates. I love developing relationships with the clients. I love the competition of beating the big behemoth recruiting firms to the punch and figuring out a way to develop, not just develop the relationships, but grow them.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. And the, the, the firm had gone through kind of a tough time after 2008 when the market shifted and, you know I was a part of the resurgence and the growth so that was very fulfilling but there was something i missing I was missing excuse me and I realized what it was was once I was able to place the candidates or not place them that was it that was the end of the relationship and the thank yous you get for helping them uh, and their families with the next step in their career um, was very fulfilling Uh, the stories you heard were, were very fulfilling but what I missed was making a lasting impact. Because once those candidates got the new job, I was done. There was no helping them from that point forward. And usually, if I was helping them again, that means things didn't go very well for them at mm-hmm. the um, the place we put them. So I I just I always knew I wanted to start my own company. I always knew that um, leadership mindset something that has a a huge place in the business world. Um, and I just decided a couple of years ago that it was time, you know, my, my children at the time were three and a half, one and a half, just about to be four and two. And I sat down with, with Nancy, my wife, the, the rock star in the family. And I, I just made the leap. I made the jump and it was really cool. And the more, you know, our brand, the athletics of business that you mentioned, the more I talk to folks about that, it's great when you see the light bulb go off in their head and they realize that the same mindset that makes in championship teams and elite athletes so successful are the same things that are a key to you having a massive success, not just in business, but in life as well.
0: Let's take a step back for just a second, uh, because I, when we were, you were here a month ago, you talked about there was a specific moment with one of your children that kind oh, of pushed sure. you over the edge and said, you know what, it, it is time to, to do something different.
1: Well, yeah. So, and that was more in the transition stage where I was still walking away from consulting and I was starting the business, but what Maddie, at the time, who was four, said to me, um, it was, so I had launched a monitor group, but I was still walking away. I was still handing over my clients in the consulting business. And And what Maddie had said to me was, Daddy, do you have to work today? Okay. And I said, well, no, I, I don't have to work today. She goes, oh, that's great. I go, what would you like to do? She goes, well, I want to play. Can you play today? I said, I can. Now, keep in mind, I thought I was doing a pretty good job parenting to this point. And I said, well, what would you like to play? And she says could you play daddy today and that that hit me in the gut you know that really was that what you're referring to that story Mm -hmm. yeah so that hit me in the gut and that's when i realized um you know it's time to do this full speed ahead and and to me the big thing is i want to leave a legacy with my children and i want i want to one of the things in terms of coaching college basketball for me, and I'm not speaking to college coaches, I have a ton of great friends I have a, an enormous amount of respect for that are phenomenal people and great family men and can find the balance. Um, but for me, when I was coaching, I was really trying to live out resume virtues. Even though I was doing it for the right reasons, I got very caught up in, the, in into the um, fast pace, hustle lifestyle, what's next you know, I, I loved love, love making an impact on the kids lives. I, I, like I said, I loved contributing to the success and the growth of the program, but it was always about what's next. I didn't want to live, you know, and I'll never, I'll never forget, uh, someone very close to me said when, when I got the Northern Illinois job said, man, you're that, this is great. You're a survivor. And it hit me like, I don't want to be a survivor. You know, I want to do some, I want to do some great things. I don't want to just chase. And when You know, when Maddie said that to me, I I realized that I need to do a better job of focusing on my
0: eulogy virtues
1: versus my resume virtues.
0: So let's talk about, you know, looking forward. Once you made the, I think we talked about this a little last time, when you wake up in the morning, you have to like who you see in the mirror, Mm -hmm. or at least recognize who you see in the mirror. You 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 didn't see yourself as mortgage broker, Ed Molitor, right? You saw yourself as coach. So now let's look forward. You have made that decision. You've walked away from coaching, and now you've launched your own business. Um, What, from your old career, helps you in the new career and helps you help the people that you're trying to help? I think the
1: first thing when change started to happen for me in terms of understanding the importance and significance of that mindset was I increased my self-awareness of where I was, the way I was thinking, how I was operating. Um, and I, I think as I as time goes on, self-awareness is a huge competitive advantage. Um, and I realized when I was in the mortgage industry and for a time there, when I was in the recruiting industry, I was head down, work as hard as I can, make the metrics work, make it all make, you know, be sure it all makes sense. Um, and I didn't take time. You know, if you're moving in the wrong direction, but you're going fast paced, things aren't going to work out real well for you. And I spent quite a bit of time doing that, you know, and that's why people think activity being busy means you're, you're successful. And it's not, it's the quality of the activity and how efficient you're doing and how smart you're doing it. And I started to realize that in a corporate world. And I started to realize when things don't go well. Um, especially when I was in that role as VP of Operations, I made a lot of mistakes early on. And one of the big things is, as Mike Shashesky says, it, leaders have to be the face their team needs. So in other words, you have to. And it goes back to a team's a direct reflection of their head coach. But a leader has to be the face their team needs, no matter how big or small your team is. And I I realized that I may be the most positive person in the world, but my default leadership method at times was not very positive. It was very much about execution and getting things done. And as I grew and moved towards launching the Molitor Group, I really started to develop that whole mindset and and how important that is.
0: So let's talk a little bit about um, the athletics of business. And that, well, one of the things we were talking before, I said, you're an executive coach. But she said, no, it's bigger than that. You, You aim at different people. The, the athletics of b- business can work with what types of people in this organization.
1: Okay, so the athletics of business, so there's three buckets of, it, of how we operate with the Molitor Group. There's three things we do. Um, executive coaching is a piece of the puzzle. And then there's leadership development and performance training. And then there's the keynote speaking. And they really all go hand in hand. But to answer your question about the executive coaching, to me, I believe there's certain terms in my industry that are overused. Um, life coaching, business coaching, coaching. Um, you know, to name a few or a couple, I should say. But executive coaching, to me, the folks that qualify for that is anybody who has an impact on the organization's bottom line. Okay. That could be the gatekeeper in an office. All right. That could be someone that comes in at night and empties the garbage cans. And that's getting a little bit of extreme, obviously. But anyone, anyone who has an impact. Any organization's bottom line, whether you're entry level sales, what you're, whether you are middle management, whether you are C level, okay, uh, whatever the case, what are you? Customer service, um, you know, the heads of customer service. I just did an event for, for a group on customer service, and it was amazing how I was talking to them about building relationships and communication and trust and authenticity, um, and honesty and integrity. It's the same thing you would go and talk to um, college athletes about in terms of becoming better people as they're getting ready for the real world. So to me, those are the types of folks that qualify to be um, a client for an executive coach. Mm
0: -hmm. And your program, when I sat and was listening to it, it's very uh, programmed in a way, right? Is that, we talked about this last time, I think, is that what coach does well who doesn't have a practice plan? right? So is that, again, your coaching background, how much of that is part of the athletics of business?
1: Oh, it's a tremendous part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a huge part of it. And I think it's a great question because, I mean, we've all heard the cliche and I try to stay away from them, but if you're failing to plan, you're planning to fail. And you have to be intentional. You only have so much time and energy in your day and what you do with your attention. And we, we live in a world where constantly. Distracted. We're constantly bombarded by outside um, events, social media, okay? We're moving at a pace, and, and our rate, rate and pace of change right now is unlike any other time uh, in history, and it's very easy to get distracted. If you're not dialed into what your um, projects are, what your tasks are each and every day, just like in a practice plan, you would say, okay, here's, here's what we want to accomplish today. Today's going to be an offensive day. You know, And today we're going to work on a team that changes defense, or is going to pick us up three-quarters court, or we're pretty sure they're going to triangle into us. What are we going to do in our plan? How much time are we going to lot? And are we going to leave some space in between drills that we work on so we have some sort of flexibility? I think one of the biggest mistakes people make in their world is they try to have every minute of the day occupied, all right? You can't. You have to leave white space, all right? Things happen. Life happens, OK? Um, and I, and I think from a coaching perspective, I think as a coach, you have to bring energy, you have to bring passion, um, you have to develop a culture. Uh, I think there's so much of the coaching that just oozes out of me each and every day, for lack of a better term. And you have to be programmed in the sense that, okay, you know, I have instilled this certain belief in myself because our beliefs drive our behaviors. And let's be real, behavior skills are what drive job skills, which are what drive our results. And we do live in a results-oriented world. So, you know, what do you want to accomplish? How do you want to accomplish it? How much time are you lotting? And how are you going to respond to things that happen outside of your control? In in the coaching world, you've got to understand, that happens each day. It might happen each hour. Um, so it, it has a lot to do with how I operate and how we operate on a daily
0: basis. What is what is the hardest thing to teach People, is it is it the you must maintain a schedule and you shouldn't respond to that email or you should let that email go or stay off Facebook? I mean, what you know, what are the what are the things that trip people up the most? I I, you know
1: that's a very interesting question, a very fair question, but each person's going to be different. What's the hardest thing to teach them? I think one of the most important things to teach them doesn't have to be massive change; it's incremental. You know, it's a small thing each and every day, and it's developing habits and it's creating the mindset and it's there's a saying that i i love and i don't mean to get real deep but it um until you make the subconscious conscious it'll rule our lives and we'll call it fate and it goes back to the law of attraction but you think and you listen to people who are very negative oh here we go again it always happens to me oh god you you, who'd ever thought any different and and they're right it does happen to them because that is their mindset you know and that's how they see the world and that's how they see things um, as opposed to a person who has drilled it into their head that you know it's okay you know I, okay things are going to happen we're going to have adversity we're going to have challenges here's how we're going to handle it um they're very intentional about uh what they say to themselves another great one there's a man i'm gonna forget his name now and he owns the Ironman. He's the only person to do six double Ironmans. And um, I forget it, but he has a great quote. Anyways, ask asked him how he how 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 did people you do it? Like how people
0: can Google that?
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And I feel awful. I feel like I should be googling. I have my phone sitting next to me, and I feel like I cannot believe because we talked about it in the presentation, and they asked. Well, him, we
0: are we are getting older, you know. So. I know
1: it's <laughs> tough. I mean. that's a whole other story for another time and um but anyways I asked him how do you do it how do you deal with the adversity that comes up how do you deal with the stress how do you deal with the loneliness of training and he said something if you think about it, it's really interesting he said I stopped listening to myself and started talking to myself so if people stop reacting to what happens to them in a negative way they start feeding their subconscious mind with you know positive thoughts positive beliefs because that's all it is and that's one of the big things to teach people. It doesn't have to be a massive change. Um, I think one of the things for some folks is that when you really set out to do something, each day matters. You know, each the way you plan your day and organize your day, uh, and the way you do things. You know, do you attach a dollar value to every activity you have during the day? People think, well, I only looked at. I was only on Facebook for for twenty minutes. And one of one of the biggest challenges for me is I. I have to be in the social media world. And I'm not saying I don't like it. I mean, it's great and all, but it's just not. You know, There's other things I'd rather be doing, but I love the fact that it gets to a lot of folks, but it's easy to get distracted. You know, it's very easy to go down that road and people think, well, it's 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Well, you're doing it every day and you're doing it three times a day. You know, there goes an hour. Okay. And now an hour becomes how many hours a week, how many hours a month, how much work did you actually miss? And And here's the other thing self-discipline okay self-discipline is a key to every self-discipline drives self-control which drives self-confidence which leads to self-realization all right people don't understand that self-discipline and happiness are not mutually exclusive actually one leads to another and everyone and especially young people today and i don't want to get into a, a conversation about millennials or anything like that because i'm not and that's not what i'm saying but especially we live in a world where, where they think hard work is a negative Okay. They think persistence is awful. They think grit is a, a challenge and obstacle you can't overcome. The reality of us it it's fun. You know, it's fun setting goals and falling short and failing and and, and and dusting yourself off and figuring things out. And teaching people that it's about the journey. And we were just talking before, you know, winning can't be an event. It has to be a mindset. Success has to be success truly is a journey, not a destination. And and one of the things we have to realize is that I'll give you a perfect example, myself. I own every failure I have. I absolutely own it. But you know what? I don't always own my successes. I don't always own my small victories. And that happens a lot in the Explain that, what do you mean? So in other words, I'll be the first one to be a harsh critic of myself. But if I succeed, I'll chalk it up to I'm supposed to. Oh, I got lucky, or timing is everything. Instead of taking a step back, and, and and I'm very intentional at the end of each day, I write down two to three small successes I had each day. And it could be something so minor as I didn't overreact when my son tried putting the puppy in the microwave, okay? But anything, and actually that did not happen, but I, just an example. But anything to understand that it's okay to appreciate the little victories, because you know, we make such a big deal of all the failures and all the, all the messes that we make. When, truth be told, it's those failures that we need to to grow and to, to improve.
0: Yeah, you talk about the journey versus the destination. And, um, and since we're both kind of sports people, um, I think Joey Votto was talking about it this year, that when you're struggling, that's when it's, in a way, the most fun. Because you're trying to figure it out. And then when you actually figure it out and you get there um, – it doesn't end because the struggle is going to come again is it one of the when you're working with ex-athletes is there is there sometimes a is there sometimes a battle with uh teaching them that hey this is a business career that's going to last 40 years there isn't an end of the season
1: uh, that's a great question. And, you know, it's funny because I, I work with former athletes. I actually work with coaches that are looking to try to figure out if they want to get out of coaching and do something else. Um, I work with people that are going through change in their careers. In other words, from one industry to the other, a new position internally. But, you know, in terms of former athletes, there's a great group out there, um, Athlete Network, that um, does a good job with this. You have to realize and it goes back to what we said earlier. Don't identify who you are with what you do and what you did. So athletes have a tendency to make great salespeople, all right? And it's because they set goals, it's they compete, and they do embrace the when things aren't going well, let's get after it, and let's really dig in. Hey, I got your back. Um, you know, that whole mindset. But one of the things that, um, you know, speaking to your question in terms of This is a business when you get, especially at the college level, when regardless if it's D1, D2 or D3 or NEI, it is in junior college, it is a business. These kids days are structured for them. One of the big challenges for an athlete is to get into this world where it's their responsibility to structure it and set it up and hold themselves accountable. That's one of the big challenges, you know, and you talk about when things aren't going well success is a journey, not a destination. Um, I was on the way here. I was talking to James Leith, who's the director of leadership at IMG. And James and I have become pretty good friends. And he just is a great storyteller in the sense that there's a lesson in every story. And he was just down at an event with former Olympians. And without going into too much detail about it, there was, I believe he told me there was 30 Olympians there that had some point in their career stood on the podium whether they were getting a gold, silver, or bronze. And to a person, each one said their most depressed day of their life was the day after they won the medal. And I think that goes back to what you're saying is, in athletics, the successful ones love when things aren't perfect, love when things aren't well, love when they're working towards something. And I think in the business world, athletes and non-athletes need to find a way to embrace those times and those days and those journeys. And what those Olympians said was they realized they didn't really enjoy the journey. They may not do it again because they didn't enjoy it. I think the successful people in sales are the ones, and in business in general, but the successful people are the ones that get it each and every day. They're going to work. Okay, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a negative thing. They get to meet new people, develop new relationships, solve problems. Okay, think through something that may, in some people's eyes, be a major crisis, but they have the ability to sit there and break down what's really happening. Uh, they're able to see the forest through the trees. You know, I think.
0: Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's all right. Did most of the people that come that you work with are they already motivated? You just have to redirect them or or get them to. Um, Be more intentional, or do you sometimes have you know get called in to work with people that you've actually got a light of fire under them? The
1: majority of clients I have are very motivated. Okay, Um, in order to step outside of your comfort zone and to get to hire a coach or to bring in a trainer, you have to be trying to achieve greatness you you want to succeed you're admitting to the fact that there's something that you can do better you know it's funny back in the old days old days 15 20 30 years ago so they're not that old but
0: people that, viewed... that's pre-phones no, that's old i mean that's that's a whole nother world
1: that's that's pre-cell it phones. is i know you think about that yeah which you know seeing that you and i were in college might be a better thing that there were no cell phones <laughs> camera phones back then <laughs> but um but you know having a coach was kind of like, oh man, something must be wrong. It was seen as a negative, where nowadays it's when these you know, individuals, when someone comes to them and says, hey, I'd like for you to hire a coach, it's a compliment. It means you see potential in me, okay? Let's get that potential out. So the majority of my clients are motivated. There's some that need to be held accountable. What really happens is there's some that needs to be kept on track. There's some that are stuck, okay? There's some that just need not even a push, because it's not my job to motivate anybody, and Tom Tom Mendoza, I, I really encourage you to, to Google Tom Talks. Um, and Tom is a uh, individual I met um, at the Notre Dame-Georgia football game. The Mendoza School of Business at Notre Dame is named after him. He's one of the most genuine, authentic people I've ever met. And he has a talk on there. I believe he was speaking um, to the Marines at the time. And he talks about people think, you know, during the interview process, you know, we need to figure out this is someone we have to know, motivate And he makes it very clear that it's not my job to motivate people. You know, if people aren't motivated, I have one solution. I fire them, okay? So truth be told, people that are going to sit down with an executive coach or, you know, attend leadership development, um, you know, mindset training, they're already motivated. It's just trying to figure out what can get them from where they are to where it is they want to be. You know, what are their goals? What are their objectives? And we may not get all the way there together, but we're definitely going to make progress and make movement towards that.
0: You, it's a good point about if you have to motivate somebody, it's time for them to move on. I mean, and I'll, again, throw myself under the bus a little bit because my old career was in newspapers. Right. And when the Titanic started to sink. Dying breed. Right. And, and you know, I used to have six people who worked for me, and then they were all gone, so all their work came to me. And then I, I started branching out, being entrepreneurial, trying to sell more of my time to make up for, you know. But by the end, I, I dreaded going into work and I didn't think of new stories anymore. I just wanted to keep my head down, make it through another day. And when they let me go, they should have let me go because I wasn't motivated. They were were spending all their time trying to get me to be the worker I used to be. So it was time for me to go.
1: Well, you know what's interesting? So you speak to one of the things we talk about that's really big is your why, okay? And I would venture to say to the majority of people that are not happy in their position, in their job, have lost sight of what their why is. So in other words, here's an example. When I was coaching, I loved making an impact on young people's lives. I loved being a positive influence on their lives, okay? When I got in the mortgage industry, I lost that. Well, I lost it because I, I, I didn't understand in the mortgage industry, okay, I was still having a positive impact on people's lives. So first time homebuyers. okay? That was the single biggest financial decision they were making up until that point in their life, all right? I didn't understand that. People that were refining, I didn't understand that I was helping them allocate money that they had already, you know, that they have earned and do something else with their life, whether it was buying the dream vacation home or whatever. I, to me, all I was doing was cold calling, knocking on doors, and, and making metrics, you know, and making sure I close X amount of loans. and, and took pre- I lost my why. So what happens is, especially in an industry that's dying, which it is a shame because to me, some of the most fun people in the world are the sports writers. Um, to me, and I should say journalists in general, But to me, I would bet you if if you aren't happy in your current position, it has everything to do with your attitude and approach to that position. Regardless if you're right or wrong, you can always do something about that. And it speaks to, okay, why are you doing it? And people say, well, it doesn't align with my why. It's not congruent. Well, guess what? It's time to move on.
0: Yeah. In my case, years ago, I was told that um, when did you stop wanting to be a reporter and be an editor when you felt like you'd written your last great story? And in my case, since we'd lost so many people, I was spending so much time doing busy work, I didn't see a great story in the future for me to write. Wow. So, I was, you know, so I was just you know, marking time. Right. Um, now, looking back on it, though, do you think you were wrong? I don't know. I don't know. if, you know, In my case, that industry still hasn't hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, here at Thinker, I've been challenged in a lot of different ways. And it's taken me a while to kind of hit my, you know, get my footing of where I can be effective. Mm-hmm. And it looks like I think I'm I'm being effective now, uh, but now I need to you know I need to be more intentional about my day because I got out of it for uh, several years where I wasn't intentional from nine to five. I was just marking time. Mm-hmm. I was, when I was younger, I was very intentional. I'm gonna get this done, this done, this done by this time. Um, when if so, if somebody, if you're working with someone. Kind of lay out, you know, and, and you, you have your first initial round of talks. What happens next? I mean how how long does this go on and and how do you adjust from situation to situation? So are, with that question you mean my first round of talks. Yeah, so you're working with somebody for a while, right? And mm-hmm. then they start adopting the athletics of business and you go back and see them six months later. Typically what are you talking about then? And then you know, a year later, what are you talking about then? Are you talking in a coaching setting or like a leadership development uh,
1: workshop or doing out with corporations? Whichever one you,
0: you think. We, okay.
1: Well, because they're, they're different in okay. the sense that with coaching, I ask questions, you know, and, and that's the real neat thing about coaching. It's like when a player, the light bulb goes off in their head and they figure something out on how to read a screen or something like that. In coaching, the ones that come up with the answers are my clients. I'm not sitting there giving them the answers. I just ask the questions in a way that they talk through it and think through it and they come up with the solution. Then they own the solution. And then you know what? They don't need to see me six months later because they're able to solve those problems and work through those problems themselves. Now, in terms of going back and revisiting clients that um, I have spoken to before, it's very interesting because you could probably, excuse me, not probably, you can get a Solid idea of who's gonna take action immediately and Who's not and who's gonna wish they had and who's just gonna be kind of in the in the same situation? The next time you come around and see them or, or where the, the phone call the follow-up to you is gonna be a little bit delayed As opposed to everybody else because I leave everywhere. I go I leave the door open for people to reach out to me uh, Whether it's via phone give my cell phone my direct cell phone. I uh, give my my you know personal email address Um and they can reach out to me. And some people are a little bit shy about doing it because they don't want to admit they have challenges. But the truth of the matter is we all have challenges. Challenges aren't negative. They're positive. Um, increasing your self-awareness and realize you need to grow are a positive. But what happens a lot of times, especially if it's only three months later, you're going to be like, well, this this isn't working. you know. And I believe firmly, and I haven't said this before to you, but if you look at your level of success today, Regardless of your field of endeavor, you look at your level of success today, it has everything to do with your activities 90 days ago. I firmly believe that. So if you pull out your calendar and you look at what were you doing a week leading up to 90 days ago and a week after 90 days ago, I guarantee you there's going to be a correlation. I have no no qualms about guaranteeing that there will be a correlation. And that's why you have to give it time, the journey, okay, and you have to be patient and you have to be persistent. In the same token, you have to be able to make split decisions, which is one of the things that speaks into the athletics of business mindset, the ability to change direction and to buy into the decision you made, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, this is what you decided, go do it, see it through. And the stories you hear are, are pretty cool. You know, and some, some are really happy figuring out that they didn't figure it out because now they have a new lease on their whole thought process and the others might be in the middle of their grind their journey you know to a certain goal might have been a full year it might have been a long-term goal so they might not have a whole lot to report in their eyes but in mine they do because they start talking about the little victories you know one of the things I challenge my clients to do and I talk about the small victories but at the end of each month do what I call an act okay what were your accomplishments your celebrations and what tweaks would you make to what you did the previous month? And we get so caught up in all the failures each and every day. And that's why, you know, all my clients to a person before they go to bed at night or at the end of the day, whenever they go through that shutdown ritual, they write, write down their small successes. Because usually at the end of the day, something didn't go well, something didn't work out, or we're doing something we don't want to do. And, and that way, if you really focus on the small victories, you start seeing how you are working towards those goals.
0: I think that's a good um, point to stop for now. I think we'll have you back in the future. But if somebody's listening to this and they're interested in talking to you or you know perhaps hiring you for your services, how do they reach you? Okay, there's a couple different ways.
1: Um, first, reach out to us at the Molitor Group. Uh, info. Info, I-N-F-O, at the Group.com and you spell Molitor, M-O-L-I-T-O-R.
0: Like Paul Molitor. Like
1: Paul Molitor, mm-hmm. yes. I always tell people he got all the athletic ability in the family, <laughs> but it wasn't my family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, um, and you can follow us on Twitter, at The Molitor Group, okay? Uh, we have a Facebook page, The Molitor Group. And you can also give us a call. Call me uh, at 312-446-6988. And my direct email is ed at thebolitergroup.com.
0: And if you're a Thinker um, client or anybody in Rockford, we will be having more of these Lead and Succeed series with Ed, so be looking for that as well. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot for having me. Had a blast.